Our plane landed at Central City after a layover in Metropolis. We stretched our legs with a walk in the park, hoping to come across a vendor peddling frozen treats in the heat of the summer. In the distance, though, we spied a familiar couple enjoying a midday picnic. Barry and Iris seemed to be enjoying their luncheon, but the romantic meal was cut short. As soon as Iris turned her back to grab the mustard out of the picnic basket, we saw Barry disappear in a blur of crimson towards the sound of thunder on this cloudless day. Of course, we dropped our ice cream and sprinted off to follow. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Got it. Yes. yes. Okay, I'm Fan- back on track. Fantastic. Matthew's back on top. <laughs> exactly. It's Everything's coming up, Matthew. <laughs> um, we are... We're, we're back to the Flash now. Uh saying oh my oh my flash no i can't do a samurai jack joke uh, no sorry. no absolutely you can't gotta get back back to the flash samurai flash there we go that's okay so for the record super speed samurai flash i am Ooh, totally down for i'd watch that uh but yes uh back to the flash samurai flash uh <laughs> samurais aside uh oh i like it yeah we, we need more we need more uh tropes and uh for our tv tropes page which you have to make True. Uh, we're going to go and continue where we left off at The Flash on The Flash number 108, September 1959. So these are uh, dual story issues mm-hmm. that are happening right now in The Flash magazine. So uh, we're going to kind of cut between one and two. We'll, we'll let you know when the second story occurs. Um, but the first story in The Flash 108, September 1959 is The Flash fights interdimensional criminals who are trying to siphon speed energy off of him as well as objects called uh, fulgurite or fulgurite. Which is some of the most masturbatory science-iness there, where it's just random factoid. But okay, yeah, yeah. your editor note made it very clear. Yeah, there's there's a lot of um, science editor notes, which I'm believing will be supplanted later by flash facts. Flash facts! I'm excited for the appearance of flash facts. Um, But fulgurite is uh, matter organic and non-living matter fused together by lightning so sand and rock and wood let like melted into like a glass-like rock substance um but these interdimensional criminals are stealing fulgurite and um siphoning speed off of the flash to fuel their own speed so they can commit crimes in their own dimension flash uh, obviously stops them um and apprehends them in their dimension and yes the flash runs the speed of light yep and runs between dimensions and when he does he helps turn these guys over to the authorities and all is well in strange other dimension land the second story is the return of gorilla grod i think this is the third time we've seen gorilla grod uh grod returns and uses a quadmobile and an evolutionary accelerator to aid in his new plan. The quadmobile is this really cool, like, landsea, air, and water. Oh, no, I said no, landsea. Landsea, air, and underground. And uh, Well, yeah, landsea, air, and, and ground. Uh, it's, it's the Avatar-mobile. Um, <laughs> and, I didn't even think of that. And it flies, it drills, it, it just a sub. Everything and, changed when, the, when Gorilla City attacked. Oh, that's sad, because they're a peace-loving people. Mm-hmm. Um, but Grodd uses the uh, escapes Gorilla City with the quadmobile that somehow he made while also in his Gorilla City cell. We're not going to talk about that. Um, and then the evolutionary accelerator that he creates, he uses upon himself 
to increase his power to a degree that was never before seen. Then we flash forward to Iris telling uh, Barry about some new crazy inventor guy, Elon Musk type fellow who is taking the science world by storm with his new inventions. And it turns out that it's Grodd hyper evolved. Grodd has evolved into this very fancy bald gentleman who has the power of telekinesis, which is when we get Grodd's telekinetic powers that he should later have in the comic series. That's um, true. That does become a staple for him. Right. So this is kind that. of the first appearance of Grodd's telekinetic ability. Um, but of course, this evolution wears off over time and Grodd is then forced back into his gorilla form. So he must fight. Uh, Flash as the gorilla, but when he's the gorilla, his brain is not hyper-evolved enough anymore, so he doesn't have the telekinesis. So I'm assuming at some point he will find a way around that because him having mind powers as well as telekinesis and being just a gigantic, abnormally-sized gorilla is terrifying. I I do just want to reflect on that for a minute. As someone who did not grow up with Flash comics by and large, just the idea of a giant telekinetic gorilla, I just want to reflect on that for a second. Oh man! Oh man! <laughs> Flash is a Flash is a great character for the ridiculousness of comics to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Tar Pit is a great example—a character who is basically a living, breathing tar monster thing. Um, Gorilla Grodd, uh, the Trickster, a guy called the Top who spins as fast as the Flash runs. Like it's all equally silly and ridiculous. Pied Piper. Mm-hmm. like for crying out loud uh but they're all supposed to be taken incredibly seriously and i think that's just a great sort of juxtaposition for the character um flash of course finds out that grod is this hyper evolved being and stops him uh by melting the machine that grod made uh with the factory that he created with people that he employed wow that's a lot of steps there for this grandmaster plan um and melting it down because it's like an unbreakable metal because he like uses friction and then he molds it into handcuffs and then cuffs Grodd with them, which is a, a cool Flash moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but Flash just put all those people out of a job and that sucks because uh, he <laughs> arrested their boss who happened to be a giant telekinetic hyper-evolved gorilla. Honestly, my favorite bit of the economics of this is that there's a block of time where there's like a man of the year competition going on and the two front runners are this Elon Musk industrialite and Flash. And they go through like this guy's qualifications and it's just, well, he's in the process he's clearly in the process of inventing something. He's built a, a, a factory and he's employed hundreds of people to come work for him in it. And no one knows what they do in there, or no one knows what they're building except him. It's like, so your man of the year qualification is not that they do anything good for anybody else, but literally just, well... He produces a lot. Yes. It's weird. And the (laughs) only thing he produces is a pill, which he takes to hyper-evolve the last step, and that's it? Yeah. He, That's it. It's 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 uh, super villainy with extra steps. Um, <laughs> it really like it's really an interesting thing um, because you would imagine someone in the factory is like, "What are we making?" You know, like just out of the blue would be like, "What what are what are we doing here?" But no, apparently nobody cares. Um, well, how do I how did I get here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the Flash number one hundred nine, October November nineteen fifty nine. 
Uh, the Mirror Master returns. Hey, it's Mirror Master. I'm a big fan of the Mirror Master. Um, he has a mirror suit that reflects light very brightly so it makes people hard it makes it hard for people to look at him and focus on his physical form because obviously the light is very bright um and he also has like a mirror machine that when it refra- uh, reflects and refracts it shrinks people so of course he shrinks the flash who attempts to stop him and his dastardly plans um flash of course reverses the shrinkage and um turns back to normal size and beats the mirror master because the Mirror Master is still just like a regular dude with mirror gimmicks. However, in the midst of doing all these mirror-related shenanigans, uh, he is late for a date with Iris, who has officially broken up with him via uh, letterhead. And, um, distraught at this terrible injustice, Barry can, uh, proceeds to stalk her at super speed and just be everywhere she is so to make her think that she constantly is still thinking about him despite being angry at him and then she comes back to him and says like well i guess there's still something between us but don't you fuck up again barry allen (laughs) and it's just kind of like that was weird and shifty right i do like that even though flash that's a little uncomfortable but at the same time, okay, it didn't, didn't go too far. But also, it didn't fix the problem completely. It wasn't like a happily ever after. It's like, no, you're still in some deep shit, but you you get a shot at this. Yeah, there's there's the running storyline afterwards that is Barry has to show up to 12 dates on time. Otherwise, Iris is completely done with him. And he like one of the storylines is he has uh, he's shown up to 11 dates in a row. And of course, something happens when he's supposed to show up for the 12th date. And he has to get it done quickly so that he has to show up for it um but it's it's the new running gag is that iris is maybe kind of fed up with barry being late all the time and oh boy that's social conflict and it's interesting because correct me if i'm wrong i I might be misremembering but i'm pretty sure they were engaged before they they still are as far as i'm aware like according to the things that we've read they're engaged all right um the second story in, in 109 is Flash's friend comes home. He lands from a space mission that uh, has some malfunction when he's coming into re-entry. He's found like a week or so later um, in underwater, still alive on his canister. And he tells Barry of this incredible story where he found this underground, underwater cavern city called Sarim, which is full of aquatic humanoid people who are very nice and polite and lovely and they saved him and they said uh in return for saving you we'd like you to take the message back to the surface that we are under attack from the mogites which are ridiculously cartoony creatures compared to what the people of serene look like mm-hmm. and they they look like sunfish with like battle toad appendages that is not inaccurate and so it's like a sunfish with super big googly eyes and like the arms and feet of and legs of the battle toads and they're toting like Marvin the Martian blasters. Mm-hmm. It is the weirdest looking thing to see next to the serene people who are tall, uh, very um, intellectually drawn mm-hmm. with like the large forehead and big wide head and like fins on the side of their heads, kind of like regal looking and humanoid looking they, they look very star trek alien yeah they're that's a good way of putting it they look very star trek alien and then you got these goofy you know 
friggin' Chuck Jones, you know, monsters running around. It's just like, who invited these guys? What strip are you guys from that you somehow invaded this one? And of course, Flash uh, goes down to the city of Serene, helps these people defeat the Mogites and draw them, you know, push them back to there or whatever. And it's just a, a pretty stock standard Flash story, but it's just a different location that he's doing it in, which is cool. I always enjoy it that they're changing up kind of the locale and the, and the situation, but it's just a weird... Weird enemy. It's a weird enemy to fight. Uh, The Flash, number 110, December, January, 1960. Happy New Year. The Weather Wizard. Hey. Yes. The Rogues Gallery is getting real full here. We've got Captain Cold, the Pied Piper, the Mirror Master, Weather Wizard. I'm waiting for the Trickster in the top, and we've got pretty much most of the the Rogues Gallery, plus Heat Wave. Um, Mm. But Weather Wizard... Is uh, Mark Martin? He's a criminal who is on the run from the, uh, I don't know, like the sheriff, right, or state troopers, marshal. So U.S. marshal. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. So the guy, the he's being uh, Mark Martin's being pursued by a U.S. marshal who um, is just trying to track him down because he escaped prison. Uh, Martin, it turns out, escaped and found his way to his cousin's house that he knew was in the area, and his cousin conveniently died of a heart attack before he got there in his big fancy laboratory. And when he got there, he found that he was working on some kind of device that was going to control, manipulate, create weather. And somehow Martin figured it all out, condensed it all down to a wand, and now has a weather no, wand. No, I want to clarify. The term that he uses is weather stick. It is. And it's so <laughs> like... God, weather wand is right there. Oh, sure. You even said it unintentionally. Yeah. That's so much better. It oh. fits the wizard theme, but instead it's the wizard fucking stick. Yeah, the what yeah, it's disappointment, John Broom. Uh you've been doing real good up until this point, but oh boy. And, and he does do really well up until that point. That's the thing. We get a great shot of like him in like it's it's like a green high collar jacket and one like it's dramatically blowing in the wind that he's oh, yeah. summoned and it's like one it's doing the whole thing where one of the one of the tips of the collar is like popped and the yeah. other is still flat against his chest uh he's got like this like mod like early goth hair I, I almost describe it as neil gaiman hair i you know what i was looking for the right person to use for that example and i thought about morrissey and i thought about the cure but you are absolutely right it's, is that mussy it's neil gaiman look it's neil gaiman in a green and yellow supervillain suit with a yes. wand it's it's, and it's all everything it i want it's everything yeah. i want <laughs> uh, weather wizard's a great character and um <laughs> Basically, Flash is like, boy, howdy, this sounds like a, a case for the Flash. And he, of course, they, they have a super fight, actually. It's like the first mm-hmm. honest-to-God real super fight where, you know, Captain Cold was using the cold mirages. Mirror Master had those weird mirror illusions. Gorilla Grodd is like, eh, telekinetic powers and mind powers and I'm a gorilla and stuff. Even Pied Piper was like sound, kind of, and yeah. doing things with sound. This is like Martin's creating hail and... Uh, flash floods and gr- and glaciers and lightning bolts and it's like a full-on like power fight and it's awesome um martin is of course trying to track down the people who are responsible for putting him in jail and that's what flash is there to try to, to, try to stop because the marshal has informed him like you know oh, these are the people that he's attacked and barry being a forensic scientist has a moderate level of detective knowledge and and able to put two and two together of course flash defeats the weather wizard and Marden is sent to jail thoroughly. Um, 
the next story is kind of probably the most important story that I think we cover in uh, the Flash number 110. The first appearance of Wally West. Mm -hmm. So Iris, his uh, nephew, is visiting from out of town. She's there to chaperone him because he's a big fan of the Flash. In fact, he's the president of the Flash fan club. And he wants to go to the place where the Flash lives and works and blah, blah, blah. And Iris is like, well, you know, if you let him come visit me and if he's uh, visiting, maybe he'll get to see the Flash. And he's all jazzed and psyched. And it's it's very cute. Like, Wally's <laughs> a very cute little kid. Um, and, and not excessively sweet. Like, it, or, or actually the word I'll use is pandering. It's not pandering. Yeah. Which was weird. Like, I was really expecting it to be like, oh, here's yeah, Robin. Yeah. Here's the kid that, that we expect kids to latch on to. Yeah. And it's just kind of, Wally's just a smart chill. kid. He's a smart, he's a smart, like he's not snapper cool, mm-hmm. quote unquote cool, but he's a, a, a believable child Yeah, who happens to be smarter than the average, you know, 10 or 12 year old. Um, Wally, of course, is shown to uh, Barry. And Iris is like, this is my friend Barry Allen. We're kind of sort of dating. He's on the doghouse right now. Don't talk about it. <laughs> and um, she says, you know, Wally's a big fan of the Flash. And he goes, oh, really? That's interesting. And Barry, being the cool guy that he is, wants to have Wally meet the Flash. So Iris is like, can you watch him for a bit? I got to go to Picture News and uh, go do my friggin' job. Hey, Picture News, by the way. Gotham Gazette, Picture News, and Daily Planet. Really big... Uh, things in the dc universe as far as media outlets mm-hmm. um picture news is in the flash tv show oh that is where iris works in the tv show i believe and I with with this she kind of just leaves her nephew with her fiance and he goes well you know wally the flash actually works here in that back office that i've got since he and i work together on cases he might actually be back there right now you want to go check and i'm like this sounds like a terrible uh start to a relationship uh, for two, for uh, a young man, gentleman, friend, and an, and an adult male, uh, but it seems to get much more wholesome because Wally, Wally's like, oh man, the Flash is over there. Oh, I'm so nervous. And Barry, at super speed, pushes him towards the door, runs really fast, opens the door, changes into the Flash outfit, and is there doing science when Wally opens the door. And he's like, oh hey, are who are you? And then they have their nice little introduction and. He shows Barry, he shows Wally around, you know, the lab and tells him kind of like, this is how I got my powers. And the exact same accident happens in the lab while Wally is in there. And he is struck by lightning and bathed in chemicals and is completely unharmed. But Barry has a sneaking suspicion that he has power. So he kind of tests him a couple ways. He's like, wow, oh boy, you do. Um, Why don't you wait here? I have to take care of a few things. But this is something we need to talk about. And I think it's important that you're taught how to deal with this. And, and Wally's like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Probably should should have some training about how to use these newfangled abilities. So Barry goes off to stop crime. Wally, however, hears on Barry's or the Flash's radio that there is or are loose animals at the zoo. And feeling the need to help people in need, he puts on this new flash costume that barry fashioned for him at super speed and zips to the zoo grabs all the loose animals puts them away and saves a bunch of people completely without any training 
and and without any real issues either. Like yeah. it's it's just kind of all right, good execution. Yeah, like a like a duck on water. Wally West saves a zoo full of people from you know not imminent and, and certain danger, but a dangerous situation that could have escalated. And Barry gets there finally after taking care of what he's taking care of and goes like, holy crap, that kid's really good at what he does. And he feels good. Like, I might not be alone. I might have, like, a partner. And it's kind of left on a very hopeful note that uh, Wally has this incredible experience and he can't tell his aunt what happened. Um, but he did meet the Flash. And it kind of ends on this nice, like, to be continued note. Um, the Flash, number 111, February, March, 1960. Barry and Iris... Go to a lecture from a famous scientist who has this ridiculous, all of this. weird story to tell about cloud creatures that he encountered while investigating a volcano. And he believes that the, the cloud creatures are attempting to attack Earth and all, all the inhabitants of Earth. And everyone's like, this guy's fucking crazy. And, and Barry's like, this guy's a genius. How could anyone say that? Iris looks super good looking in her like i thought we were going to like the opera or a show and she's dressed in this gorgeous gown and he's like we're going to a science lecture and i'm like you dork <laughs> i was like come on barry um but barry soon finds out that the cloud creatures are in fact real and must deal with them with like you know he tries to like blow them away with like a tornado of super speed and do all sorts of stuff and he eventually kills them um, there, there's a lot of motherfucking ding. Yeah, uh, he he kills all five of the one. I counted five. There were more in the pictures, but he kills about five of them by finding that there is this like nucleus on their bodies, and if he just punches it hard enough at super speed, they die. Fun though, he does a bunch of like cloud running and jumping by like moving fast enough that like the concentrated water of condensed clouds is just like running on the surface of a lake. Sure, science, whatever. But he kills a lot of cloud creatures. Congratulations, Barry Allen. You are well in the lead for the most deaths in the DC universe uh, of the DC pantheon in the Silver Age. Of course they win. And Barry goes to uh, call Iris later. And she's like, I don't know. Now that the cloud things are super real, like I'm so fascinated by that. Uh, yeah, that's right that scientist guy now and i'm like are we really doing like the i don't know if i like you anymore fiance situation and i'm just like i can't deal with that because the next story is a solo kid flash story yep so in blue valley in blue valley wally is uh wakes up and he's like wow that was a crazy dream i had superpowers oh shit i still have superpowers and goes to school and kind of has that like maybe i shouldn't be so fast it's not fair he doesn't phrase it, phrase it like it's unfair to the other kids, but he kind of phrases it like, I can't let anyone know. And I'm like, no, nah, man, it's not fair. You have super speed. You're really good at basketball now. <laughs> Chill out. But Wally sees his friends, the uh, Crimson Crows, who are a 12-year-old 10-speed gang. And I just want to call out for a minute here. Like, they're dressed like the archetypal, like, French Apaches that we've talked about in the past. They, yeah. They're in, like, they're in blue uniforms with, like, somewhere between police or military caps with red scarves. And it is just, these kids are fly as fuck. Well, they, they look like 50s greasers. Yes. And, Except uh, they're like 12. Yeah, and they're 12. <laughs> and they're riding like Schwinn's. Um, I don't... What? I don't know how old Schwinn as a company is. Schwinn is a bike company. Bicycles. Um, I believe you. 
And you knew about Susie? I don't know. Uh, if you're a Schwinn fan, at me and let me know when Schwins were invented. So I, I don't want to Google it. I want I want you to tell me. Feel um, free to Schwinn actually us. <laughs> Schwinn actually us. Uh, but he kind of has this feeling that like his friends are up to no good, and apparently they had a recent rumble, quote-unquote, with the Golden Eagles, who are just another 10-speed gang. And they're going to do another one today, and uh, the, the fight goes off. Without a hitch, except one of the kids knocks over a, like a straight up like oil lamp, and it lights the shack that the Golden Eagles, the Eagles Airy, if I remember correctly, oh God. on fire and starts a small forest fire. And Wally has to stop the forest fire on his own, and con- and the incident convinces his friends and the Golden Eagles that maybe this is like not a thing we should do and just like play sports, but. Wally does like straight up, I got to make like a fire line and cut off the oxygen for it. And maybe if I run around it really fast, I'll let it burn itself out. I was like, holy crap, kid, you're really smart. Mm -hmm. And it's just really cool to just see Wally West be Kid Flash and just to have it like one being incredibly effective. Even his mistakes are just, oh, that didn't work. I have to try something else as opposed to like, oh, oh, I made it worse kind of a thing like mm-hmm. Robin almost would do. Yeah, um, yeah. Or like even Aqualad didn't really screw up a lot, but when he screwed up or did something, it was like keeping things away from Aquaman and not telling him what he was doing. We need to read more Aquaman and just kind of yes. get more of a feel of Aqualad. But it feels like Wally's a lot more capable not that not that and, Robin isn't, but, but he's also he's not being played for jokes. Sure, his uh, his success or failure is a success or failure. It's not a here is a hook for the next round of uh, of action. The, the in a comedic sense, he's not bumbling exactly. Um, and that's the end of our our summary. But I gotta say, John Broom doing a really good job with the Flash right now, mm-hmm. and. I mean, that's why I'm kind of excited to do more Green Lantern because he was Green Lantern too when I find my book, wherever it is. But I was surprised at how fun these were and like Mm -hmm. cool, like, oh man, Infantino's art is just selling a lot of it. Like the Weather Wizard is the perfect example of how Infantino's art is just like really beautiful and cool and full of life and, and, and imagery and lines that evoke uh, motion and speed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I love, I really love, I'm a sucker for this, panels that have the character multiple times yep. to, to um, illustrate super speed. I, I love those so much. I'm a huge, I'm a huge mark for them. Like whenever I see that, I'll mm-hmm. just be like, yep, oh, I love it. Super speed. Let's do it. And just, they're all over the place in these. And it's great. And it's such a hallmark of speedster characters. And it's so cool. Like these are fun. These are fun reads. They're fun comics. Yeah. Uh, so I want to springboard off of that one a little bit. Like I think these stories are ninety percent the art, and specifically the things that get done that make it page and such a page turner. Uh, that was that was the way that I sort of felt all the way through this was that it was so easy to read. Uh, the shots where it was like, okay, here's the flash in multiple spaces as he's speeding through. Just instinctively turn the page. Here are these shots where you get like a super close-up on Flash's eyes as he's thinking about something. Turn the page. It just, these moved so quickly and they had that sense of momentum. Uh, absolutely. Like the art is so much of it. Because 
I want to contrast it a little bit with the Justice League. Uh, I really liked the panel structure of the Justice League stories because it was such a mix-up of it wasn't just the six-panel grid. Like They were always doing something different and interesting with the layout. But all that being said, it still didn't feel quite like a page turn. It was more of a page turn than a lot, but it wasn't to this degree. This doesn't do much more with the panel structure, but the art and the the choice of shots is so good that and so structured to make it feel quick and have momentum. Uh, but yeah, like I blew through these stories honestly far too quickly. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and I like the power use. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a moment where Flash runs to just build up the air in front of him, and then. He stops short to just push a wall of air onto a villain, or um, when he's fighting Weather Wizard, he does the arm spin to turn to like make a mm-hmm. huge fan to blow stuff away. Like there's just so so many cool creative things that now are just staple Flash things, but you're just like, yes, man, like that's so good. I mean, we had the return of the stupid. Um, sometimes like straw can fly through yep. solid yep. steel, but it, I, and that's that's their lead up to vibrating his molecules at a high speed that he becomes intangible they're treating it more like that than when jay would throw people through things unharmed quote unquote Mm -hmm. it's now barry is running through solid objects to get on the other side of them he doesn't seem to be like using that as a weapon to conveniently hand wave violence as uh, uh, a harmless action that's a good point uh one thing that I will say about that is I'm going to contrast this back to Justice League again because Justice League was so good about Chekhov's gunning. Um, anytime that there was going to be a twist, it was signaled so early on just because, like we talked about, uh, Gardner Fox had done uh, a lot of the fun- foundational work of, okay, here's how you do tell a story in like a a believable structure it established that internal consistency here that's really less of a thing it's more just like uh okay yeah it, you can absolutely it makes sense you could melt that uh that super uh that super material and turn it into handcuffs it's not presaged by anything but it's like yeah okay I'll, I'll i'll buy it superman works like that a lot where we don't Mm-hmm. necessarily see any lead up to the use of a specific power to solve an issue it's just superman can do that same thing with batman batman's very much like that too in a, in a sense of gadgetry or premeditation about a situation we don't at least not that we've seen we haven't seen the methodical crime solving yet granted mm-hmm. we haven't really read the batman volumes at this point for a while just because the ones that we do have start in 1968 and we're not mm-hmm. there yet we don't want to jump that far which is why we're doing the world's finest storylines however it's not uncommon to use this format but it is definitely not stock standard adventure fare it's much more crime of the week mm-hmm. you know yes and this is also, I'm going to touch on, I'm going to expand on this a little bit more in a minute, but I think this is one of the areas where the the momentum of the stories, the fact that they're such page turners, plays in a huge amount. Because it's just like, you've already, you've got momentum going. It, it 
I found myself very, very rarely being like, but what about this? Like, I wrote down some notes, but it's just like, fuck it. Okay, yeah, I buy it. And I just kept moving. Uh, these weren't, these were not stories that I got bogged down in with questions. It was, I was more willing to give the benefit of the doubt to these stories than to many of the other stuff we've yeah. done. Yeah, the minutia doesn't matter. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly that. The minutia doesn't matter. And whether or not that's because of the speed at which the story moves, because this is a fast character, or it's because they're trying to fit two stories in one book. And have a lot of lingering shots yeah. in each of them. Infantino's art really is a deciding factor for how these stories get told. And it almost seems like Broom and Infantino are trying to showcase each other. Infantino's trying to do justice to whatever it is Broom has said has been on the page. And Broom's, Broom's writing allows for a really interesting imagery and shots. Like Weather Wizard's a perfect example. I want him to be moving a glacier onto somebody's house. And Inventino yeah. fucking made a huge glacier dwarfing this like countryside homestead. And then, you know, Broom's like, I want him to grab an acetylene torch and then run along the, the side of the glacier, melting it. And he did it. It like it all looks like they're both going, Okay, this is what this looks like. What do you want? I can draw that. Or um God, you like this would be so cool. You, you, it would look so cool if you could draw this kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Like they look like they're feeding off of each other and making really interesting visual stories, and that's great. It's because that's what you want out of a comic is a very interesting thing to look at and read. Yeah, uh, and I kind of said a little bit earlier, but I really do feel like that. Uh, Carmine Infantino's art is what sets this apart because I. I mean, just to sort of put a neat little bow on it. I'm not a big fan of the the story structure. It works. It's not amazing. Nothing special about anything that Broom does, in my opinion. But the art just works. Yeah, there's there's nothing special about what he does, but they're the most fun we've had reading. Yes, and oh, I think yeah. there's something to be said about that. Mm-hmm. Broom is great popcorn reading. He's not writing overly complicated superhero stories, but he's definitely writing fun superhero stories. And that's, I think, kind of really important for the genre-defining zeitgeist of superheroes being lighthearted. These are decidedly non-threatening, non-gothic, non-dark stories that have high stakes. But the, uh, the best way to explain it is everything happens during the daytime. Mm-hmm. nothing's scary true because the sun's always out and the hero's always going to be there and that's great like that's cool if it got darker and it was at nighttime it'd be like ooh scary spooky you know you know spontaneous atmosphere noir like batman but these are daytime adventures daytime crime stopping daytime saving the world they're cartoons one thing I'll append to that, though, is although these are very light stories in a lot of ways, they're also not treated as jokey as pretty much everything else we've read, with the exception of Green Lantern. Uh, I don't think Martian Manhunter was jokey. 
That's true. And uh, there, there were was, there were times it was a little bit more so, but that one did straddle the line. Right, and Aquaman doesn't strike me as jokey mm. so much as whimsical. Aquaman, okay, so that's yeah. fair. Uh, the flat, well, put it this way: uh, when I visualize an Aquaman comic, I picture Aquaman grinning, uh, standing in the sunlight, dead chuffed over how all of this worked out. Like Flash, he's glad things worked out, but. It's not he he takes the situation seriously in a sure. way that I don't think Aquaman does. Uh, and granted, his things are a lot more dangerous than Aquaman. I exactly mean, that. But it, like my neurons fired that I should treat these comics seriously, but in, have a lot of fun with it. But treat them as serious in a way that I didn't with any JLA stuff, any World's Finest, where those felt like they were a romp. That's the word. These aren't a romp. They're Cool sci, they're cool sci-fi superhero action stories. Wow, yeah, they're but they're buck, not a romp. Yeah, they're Buck Rogers. You yeah, know, they're yeah. they're pulp, and they're not. Um, well, that's the thing too is he, they don't travel like the Justice League ones did. The Justice League ones had like lo- location in place and moving mm-hmm. here and there and there and and objectives, but also the Justice League things were full book stories yeah these are constrained and i bet you if they had time to make full book stories they'd probably feel more like an adventure than a slice of life so i'll agree but i think it'll feel like an adventure in a way that is still fairly Serious is still the best word that I can come up with. And I don't uh, know if there's anything wrong with that. I mean, no, like, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. And in fact, I actually like I am I prefer this level of seriousness as compared to like the jokey romps of JLA. Yeah, there's a level there that is much more serious than any of the other comics that we've been reading. Same thing with Green Lantern. I mean, like saving mm, Tom yes. from being killed by that like bomb that that poisoned him and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but then again, that's John Broom, it seems like. That mm-hmm. seems to be Broom's writing is more PG-13, yes. more action movie than action adventure. Yeah, uh, I am in agreement with that. And what's interesting is these are the two characters that become the partners, Green Lantern and Flash. They clearly are also the ones that do very well in this era. Mm. So I'm wondering if that's just like Broom may not be doing anything particularly stylistically exciting, but his idea of what superhero comics are is vastly superior to what the previous zeitgeist was. And that one's one of the things that's interesting to me because that this model is going to become dominant uh, eventually. It's kind of the Marvel uh, MCU format where it is okay, here's an action adventure with some entertaining moments and eclectic, interesting scenarios alongside it uh, as compared to, oh, I guess we have to, we have to monkey's paw this situation, Batman. Uh, yeah, I think the, your perfect example of the romp is the, you know, going to Magic World and mm-hmm. fighting, you know, those three <laughs> guys in Magic World and coming back and Snapper Carr was a giant. Yeah. That's uh, not likely to happen in these comics. Yeah, and it's not likely to happen in the future. But that got me thinking. There's no nothing that guaranteed locked in that comics would go towards the dominant 
action adventure, mostly serious with with banter uh, format. That was the way things naturally progressed because, uh, in large part, I think, because comics had its quote-unquote growing up moment at a time of disillusionment and cynicism, mid-80s, I think it was, with uh, Dark Knight Strikes Back. Watchmen. Uh, Yep. Yeah, it's like, that that comes at a remarkably disenchanted period in American history. (laughs) And Uh, and that's also 20 years from these stories. mm -hmm. But it interested me to think about, there's no reason it had to be that the Alan Moore style became the dominant. Uh, And I was trying to think of what it would look like if if we hadn't. If the comics growing up moment hadn't been tied up with cynicism and disillusionment like do you go do you wind up with more like uh sitcom style comics where it is okay it's jokey but like people in adult situations uh with a lowercase a lowercase s like friends like crazy ex-girlfriend where it's like okay there's some adultness here but mostly it's just Let's look at let's delve into these characters' psyches a little bit deeper and have that be the source of the sitcom humor. Uh, or what does it look like? I feel like it would probably look a lot like the Bruce Tim cartoons. Mm. Huh. I think we have that, and it's the semi lighthearted, a little bit more dark, but still very much in love with the fun of being superheroes. So that's an interesting one because, and I don't disagree because that's that uh, actually, I, I think the Bruce Tim cartoons to a degree are post Watchmen in the sense that it's okay, they're 90s, but, they're, they're 90s yeah, even beyond that, like the post Watchmen in the sense of like, what is it, uh, post modernism, mm. uh, where it's okay, a response to. Watchmen to that style of cynicism like okay yeah let's incorporate the fact that things are not all sweetness and light but fundamentally these are optimistic portrayals of these characters sure which then makes me wonder like what honestly like the the core of this is I would love to think about different turning points that could have happened for comics like if if it hadn't been Watchmen if it had been something that was uh, more comedy focused or m- something different. I, c- I don't know what those comics would look like, but what would be similar? What could you slot into that moment? And how would that spiral things out? I don't know. And that's not something I've really thought deeply enough about to have a thought for, but I would love to have, you know what it is? I would love to have alternate universes, alternate universe stories, where it's not just oh there were more Beatles uh, albums and it wasn't it isn't just oh here's like Rule sixty three style uh, minor changes but it is literal very much like let's look at how philosophical patterns and ways of approaching things could have changed because that's how do you how do you fake a philosophy yeah. <laughs> It's very it's a it's a very interesting road to go down, but it's one that you're you're just gonna go down and never never stop because it's just always what ifs. Most likely. Let's see. <laughs> First off, uh, there was a particular 
reference that crept into my brain as I was reading these. Because you heard us last episode. We were not enthused with Martian Manhunter, to put it politely. Um, And even then, like, we enjoyed Justice League. But you could hear in our voices how excited we were when we started this episode. And the thing that it reminded me most of was in one of the Animorphs books, I don't remember which, there's a point where I think Marco is morphing into a dog and he just describes the sensation of suddenly being able to smell so much more strongly. Uh, And the line was like, it's like you go around your life with your, your nose plugged with cotton balls just for years at a time. And then you take them out and it's just like, wow, just, you can, you just put your, you put your nose out in the world and inhale. Uh, and it's like, that's what this was like. It was just like, uh, oh, that's right. This is good. Right. Uh, and for, for, uh, a little bit of extra, uh, impetus behind that. Here's just one of the, one of the things I had in my notes. Fuck. He's jumping on clouds with a vaguely plausible scientific explanation. This is my shit. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's just all the way through. It's just like, and I just have, oh fuck kid flash. Yeah. Just. I was psyched reading this, and I think part of that is, like, I'm wired to respect semi-serious, like, action-adventure comics more than, oh, kids romp. But, like, even if you set aside the genre, like or the tones that I'm, that I click better with, this is just more exciting comics. This is more fun in the way that I want to have fun. And you can definitely tell why this character is much more beloved than some. At yeah. least just the 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 brand. Yeah. Uh, and then the visual stuff, like I talked about how much I liked the outfit of the crows. But then there's a point where Gorilla Grodd has like havoc circles around him yeah. where he's using, I think that's, that's when right. he's using psychic powers. It's like, from the holy crap. Yeah. The, the, I really, really like the little touches that Carmine Infantino has in here. And it's so good. Also, just to, to bring Grodd back up again, Flash doesn't immediately succeed when he fights Grodd. Yep. And I like that. Like, Flash has to reevaluate and refigure out what he's doing, and it's good. Good. They Good. They struggle. They consistently put the villains over. Yeah. Um, like, the cloud creatures flew up higher than he could make a tornado. He had to figure out a new way to get to them. Uh, Grodd was just too strong for him, so he had to be smarter than Grodd was at the time. You know, the little things like that. You know, Weather Wizard, he's like, oh crap, uh, well, I melted the glacier. Oh crap, I made a flash flood. I still have to figure that, like, figure out what to do with that now. And and it's just little things that, you know, it, the work is never done. He's never, you know, he doesn't just do one thing and then it's over. And I also want to call out, like, the other side of the difficulties, like the obstacles, is also the spectacle of when the supervillain gets to go nuts. Like when the clouds are attacking an Air Force base. It's just That's there's a, a great shot. Panel. Just like, yeah. No, it's just like planes on the runway getting blown up. Uh, there's the glacier like you talked about earlier. Like there's spectacle to these. Even the Mirror Master ones, like it's a guy just made of pure light walking down a street, you know, or... Mm-hmm. Uh, shrinking Flash and throwing him off of a building. Yep. Um, Grodd lifting trees, mm-hmm. you know, like with his mind. It's, it's ominous, but also, like I said, all in the daytime. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite so scary. 
but still impressive. It's it's impressive rather than frightening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's about everything that I've got. Do you have anything else that you want to cover? Um, no, I think uh, we're good to go to recommendations if you want Excellent. to start. Yeah, uh, so I have two recommendations. Uh, the first is Significant Others Are Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really enjoying Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, I know that you and Shannon had recommended it, and I'd seen one or two episodes with you guys. Mm-hmm. But we've, uh, my girlfriend and I, have been powering through, and we're, I think we're pretty close to being finished with the first season. And I'm gonna make a comparison. I'm gonna make two comparisons, and that I'm going to feel bad about, and are probably a little forced. But you know what? I'm gonna make them anyways. They're very Claremont X Men, and Rebecca is a little bit Wolverine. So here's the specifics of it because it's a little bit of a belabored belabored metaphor. But uh, in terms of Claremont era X-Men, there aren't distinct story arcs. There kind of are, but aren't. It isn't like uh, trade paperback era comics where it's like, okay, here's a six episode arc or something like that. It's there's a core thread of one or two relationships that are being worked through all the way through this the season but it's each each episode is informing the next chunk it stands alone pretty well but there's often the the cliffhangers where it's like okay now let's see how that plays out uh and it just has that sense of of i guess each one stands on its own, but is part of that greater cohesive whole, and it doesn't have those neat little endings and start points. Like Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Rebecca, the main character, is uh, the Wolverine of that story, because even though she is the perspective she is the perspective character, she is centered, she is the A-plot to every episode, uh, A, or first off, there are other B plots each time that are very satisfying of the rest of the cast, and it's not a giant cast. They uh, like, like with Claremont, like Claremont has his seven or eight X Men on a team at any given time, and it's like, okay, B plot's gonna focus this character for a little while uh, and not turn into a giant ensemble. Uh, but also, like Wolverine, Rebecca's not the best person all the time but someone who is genuinely trying to do well uh but having that main character who self-sabotages to a degree who is trying to get better at points but it's like that that reminded me a lot of especially like wolverine era wolverine like not even in the almost X-Men Frank comics, Miller, but no, not even that. But when Wolverine got his solo title, ah, got uh, it. and it's that okay, let's dive back into my history. Um, I have almost finished um, all of volume two of Green Lanterns, so mm-hmm. I've read through volume one and pretty much 90% of volume two. I love Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz, they are a fantastic pair their dynamic is just really good um there's little things that are happening that i really like with just the characters in general um baz is developing something called emerald sight which is allowing him to kind of see into the future a little bit Ooh. jessica cruz is a motor mouth 
and she talks to her ring and the ring is adapting to that and starting to sound more like her and oh. Baz, and Baz's ring sounds like a computer and there's a straight up moment where he goes why does your ring sound so human she goes do you not talk to your ring and there's a whole moment of like we're two different types of people and her ring like calls her buddy <laughs> oh that's adorable like, she's like come on buddy let's like tell tell me tell me where they're at and it goes like searching dot 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 buddy oh wow that's weird and different and new and it's something that like you don't think about and yeah of course they're really fantastic complicated com- sophisticated computers you know that's really interesting and um it's a very it's a very interesting dynamic they're both propping each other up uh jessica has anxiety Simon has anger issues. Um, but there's also the fact that they're both P, uh, POCs. Mm. Um, Simon is Lebanese and Jessica is Hispanic or Latina, depending on, I think, I think that's a regional thing, depending on where you're from, I believe. I'm not sure. Um, and also like your heritage. I'm, I've, I've heard I both. I honestly don't know. I've heard varying things, but she is a woman of color. Um, her name is Cruz. You can pretty much you know uh at me if there's a specific way to to refer to that i i would like to know um but i really like her character i think she's very she's self-effacing she is honest about herself but she's also suffers from anxiety disorder so she's overly honest and overly critical and overly harsh with herself um simon's inner monologue is great because it's really self-evaluatory or uh, if that's a term, mm-hmm. um, in the sense where he talks like the reader thinks about him. Mm-hmm. Like whenever Jessica put, like gets in his face about something and is right, he goes, damn, Simon, she got you there. You know, and it's like, <laughs> that's great. Like, I like that good. he goes like, good. yeah, she's right. You're an idiot sometimes. And it's it's cool. They have a great dynamic. Like, Simon knows that she has anxiety and a small version of agoraphobia. So he invites her over to his place to help make dinner. And she's freaking out because she's around more people than she's normally around. And he's like, I need you to help me make cookies because I'm bad at making (laughs) cookies. And they have this whole moment where he's like really upset because he wants to make these cookies perfect for his mother. And his mother's always been so hard on him. And he thinks that the cookies are just like, it's a compounding psychological situation that, you know, many of you might be familiar with when you're trying to impress someone and something's not going your way. You know, he's a perfectionist and he's very hard on himself and very uh, quick to anger. And he's going to bail on his own dinner. And she's like, no, 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 no. You can't bail because I was going to do that. You made me go back inside. So we have to both stay here. All right. That's just how this has to work. And like, they're having like a fight in like in the sky about whether or not they should stay there and bake cookies. And eventually they're using their power rings to supplant like the manpower, like by like mixing things faster (laughs) and like adding ingredients and putting things into the oven. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it like really effectively. They're like, go, go, go. We have 10 seconds to make more, like make more shells. Go over here. I'm out of, I'm out of cashews over here. Use pistachios. And it's like, (laughs) just little things like that. It's it's the the idea of any green lantern say, trying to decide what kind of nut to use. It's so good. Like that's awesome. It's such a great moment. They're so cute. They have this like big brother, little sister thing going on um or big sister little brother depends like who is the more paternal or maternal in the situation depending Mm -hmm. on who needs the help but they're there for each other and i like that 
and I like that they are partners. And it was kind of back to the thing mm. where like the old guy teaching the new young people I was like, I kind of want Hal to come back and just be like, you guys are doing great. Like, I'm really proud of you guys. And because uh, in Green Lanterns, they don't know where Hal is. I have to get Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps to figure out what, what's going on with that. The Justice League is also elsewhere. So they're dealing with a lot of stuff on their own. And a character shows up that is like, I want to speak to Hal Jordan. And they're like, he's not here. We're what you got. So you either trust us or you go looking for Hal Jordan in space. Spoiler. There's a lot of space. Right. And it's a very interesting moment where they're like, look, we understand we're not your first choices. But the rings chose us. So there's got to be something to it. I know, like, you know, Simon's like, I know I'm an idiot. And I, I can fly off the handle a bit. And she's a little scared of, of big crowds. And she's like, hey. You know, like, they, they have their mm-hmm. moments. And he's like, but we're still Green Lanterns. And we're still your best chance right now. And I'm like, that's a really great, like self-awareness but like having the confidence to be who they are kind of a moment it's 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 fun to it's fun to read it's a great read they're two great characters um they're really growing on me and i i can't wait to read more about them and i hope they they continue to be really uh, well done sam humphreys is the writer i don't think i've read anything else by them other than this and i'm kind of excited i kind of want to see what else they can do it's very it's very well written for introducing a, uh, the audience to new characters who happen to be in a very old franchise. Um, very often the issues will start off from one or the other's perspective. Like, hi, I'm Jessica and I'm a Green Lantern or mm-hmm. hi, I'm Simon and I'm getting the shit kicked out of me right now. Kind of a thing like that. Mm-hmm. Like it will start from one of their perspectives and kind of give you the recap. So you're like, okay, that's who that is. And that's who that is. But it takes turns with each one of them kind of being the fore, forefront character, or the background character. So nice. each of them gets a little bit at equal screen time kind of a thing. There's a, but like just a, like a very accurate representation of how fun the two of them are. It's like they're fighting some red lanterns and Simon knows all their names and Jessica doesn't. So he goes like, that's so-and-so. And she goes, uh, angry goat man. And like their, their dialogue boxes are above each other are above and below. So it's like what they're thinking and what there's like their inner monologue. So he goes like, so and so, angry goat man. Um, so and so, messed up Mr. Potato Head. And like, she, <laughs> like that's how she's thinking about them and how he's thinking about them because he's like been on the job for a while and she's like, I'm new to this. I don't know what that thing is. That's an angry Mr. Potato Head. That's what I'm calling him. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, good for you, Jessica. <laughs> like, do whatever you got to do to make it normal for you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, so I think that'll do it for this episode. We are going to move on to another collection soon. Uh, we're not sure yet. We'll probably figure it out um, within the next couple of weeks. But uh, this is really fun to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good, Read yourself some Flash. Yeah, re- read some old Flash. It's really good. It's, re- it's worth reading. And it's it's just really good to look at. And I can't wait to see more uh, Infantino art. I hope we find some more stuff that he does. And uh, just to get some of that really good looking stuff in there. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and DCDetectivesPodcast.com. Breathless. That was the word for it. We followed the Flash through a few Central City adventures, and they felt like a whirlwind, never dull or dragged out. The Scarlet Speedster took his job seriously, with a certain amount of awe and seriousness instead of whimsy. 
even after Kid Flash made his debut. We parked our bags at the bus stop, catching our breath and listening to the city go by. Whatever came next, hopefully we were safe from gorillas for a little while.